For those of you that are joining us for the first time, and for those of you that are here not for the first time, let me just remind you that at Southside, we believe that since the Bible is God's word, and we are God's children, can we say it together? The Bible is God's word for us. Father, we come before you, acknowledging your presence here, believing that, Lord, you are here with us, and you are here to do something. And therefore, Father, we present ourselves to you, praying that you minister to us, that your Holy Spirit speaks to us, and that we may hear you and obey you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've, you've read the Gospels and realized how they present Jesus from different perspectives. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And sometimes it can be confusing because you hear Matthew saying something and then you look at Luke and it's seems as if it's something else. And sometimes you are tempted to think that it's a contradiction. In fact, we've had many people uh, talk about the Gospels being contradictory. But what we have in the Gospels are four accounts of the life of Jesus from different perspectives. This is what happens when you have witnesses. For example, when there is an accident and you find four witnesses, they are not going to tell you the same things. They will tell you the same story, but from their perspective. Some of you here are focusing on the flowers. Like, wow, I love those flowers. And, and some of you are not even seeing the flowers. Some of you are focusing on the... <laughs> they're like, oh, I'm so glad they have... What, what do you call this? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we see things differently. And so, if someone said, asked you, how was the church today? And you say, oh, there were a lot of flowers in front. You will be right. But someone will say, oh, there were a lot of hay bells in front. You will also be right. Matthew presents Jesus to us as the king of kings. That's why he traces his lineage from David. He's telling us this is the king that was promised. And then Mark comes along and he says, well, this Jesus is also a servant. And so Mark presents to him as a servant. Mark doesn't tell us about his birth. He tells us that there was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. He begins with John the Baptist. And then Luke presents him to us 
as a man. He says this Jesus is a man. Luke was a historian and a doctor. And he knows what he's talking about. And so we have Matthew and Luke that tell us about the birth of Jesus Christ. If he's a king, if he has to be in the lineage of David, he needs to be born in that lineage for him to be in that lineage of King David. That's why Matthew tells us about his birth. And then Luke, because he's a man, he has to be born also. So he tells us about his birth as well. And then John comes in and he tells us that this Jesus is God. So John doesn't tell us about his birth. In essence, he says that Jesus that was born in Bethlehem, he was there before Bethlehem. And he begins his Gospels in John chapter 1. We are going to read verse 1 to 18. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Okay? So if you are reading, you are asking yourself, what is he talking about here? He continues, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now you know that John is talking about a person. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John the Baptist, he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John the Baptist comes up. He is preparing people to receive the Messiah. And John is telling us that Messiah was there in the beginning. Before you go to Bethlehem, you need to realize that he was in heaven. And when you realize that this Messiah was there in the beginning, you will also realize that everything that is happening in Bethlehem is in his control. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is why every believer is a child of God. This also tells us if Jesus gives 
those who believe in him, those who receive him, the right to be children of God, it means there were someone else's children before that. No? Oh, I thought you were saying no. <laughs> if we, no, don't worry, Pauline, we are together. If, if, we, if we become God's children because of receiving and believing in Jesus, then without Jesus, without believing in him and receiving him, we are someone else's children. Turn with me to John chapter 8. I, I, just, just for a minute and then we will proceed with our our text. In John chapter 8, Jesus was speaking to the Jews uh, who had believed in Jesus. And there was a group that had not believed in him. If you look at verse 44, and you can read the whole of John chapter 8 at your own time. Verse 44, Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Did you get that? So Jesus is telling these people that you are of your father, the devil. Okay, look at verse 38 of John chapter 8, verse 38. He says... I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. So Jesus is saying that there are two fathers here, the devil and God. God becomes your Father when you believe in Jesus, when you receive him as your Savior. That means salvation takes us from the family of the devil to God's family. God becomes your father through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not telling you that when you are sharing the gospel, you start telling people you are a child of the devil. Okay, that's not a good place to start. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become children of God. Listen to this. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but from, but born of God. This is what he was talking about when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. He was referring to a spiritual birth. Okay? All of us have been born at least once. That's why we belong to our families. The second birth, which is a spiritual birth, puts you in God's family. And there is no other way. Verse 14. This is what is happening in Bethlehem. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. You can read verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then come to verse 14, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, Emmanuel. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace, truth, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known to us. John is telling us three things here. One, he's telling us that Jesus is the great creator. Nothing that was made without him. Right? It tells us that he was there in the beginning, and in verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He is the great creator. You look at yourself, and you say, I was created. And when you are being created, Jesus was doing it. So when, when Mary is carrying this child in her womb, waiting to give birth to him, this baby is actually the creator who has lowered himself to take a form of a child. 
He has allowed himself to be veiled in Mary's flesh. And John wants us to know, as we focus on what is happening in Bethlehem, that we should also remember that that child was in heaven. Even though Mary becomes his earthly mother, and Joseph becomes his earthly father, he is older than them. Because he was there from the beginning. He is the great creator. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 tells us. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Talking about Jesus. So number one, he's the great creator. Number two, he is the great redeemer. He came with one goal in mind to save People from their sins. From verse 9, we are told, He is the true light that gives light. Life was in Him. The idea of Him being the light tells us that He wanted to be seen. And that's why He came down. Because he wanted us to see him, to have an experience with him, with the purpose of delivering us. He says in John chapter 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. He is the great redeemer. When Caesar Augustus forced Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem for taxation, he was not aware that every move they made was under God's control. He thought he was controlling things. But God was controlling every move. Even Joseph and Mary may not have been fully aware of what was going on. Can you imagine when Mary, uh, nine months pregnant, uh, taking this journey of 80 to 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Most likely they walked. But even if they had an animal, a camel or a donkey, it must have been very uncomfortable for a pregnant woman. And then you look at Joseph. When they arrive in Bethlehem and there was no room for them, 
Mary is probably thinking, where am I going to give birth to this baby? Who is going to help me? And Joseph is probably thinking, what kind of a man am I that I cannot even provide a suitable place for my wife to give birth? All these things are going through their minds, even though they also realize, they also understand that God is the one who is working here. But they are humans. My wife and I, especially me, there are times that I worry a lot. Like, I wasn't expecting that all of you would show up today because of the virus that is going on. And now I, I told my wife in the morning, don't be surprised if we are the only one at church. And she was like, oh, at least the music team will be there. <laughs> and that's encouraging. But we are humans, and, and we, we, we worry a lot, especially concerning things that are out of our control. And Joseph and Mary must have gone through the same. But the Savior, the Redeemer, was coming to earth. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, we are told, But you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origin are from of old, from ancient of times. Again, Micah prophesying, pointing us to the beginning, telling us that the one who will be born in Bethlehem is the one who was there from the beginning. Jesus is the real savior of the world. He's the great redeemer. The baby born in Bethlehem was not a man that became God. It was God who became a man. And that's, that's the mystery, the mystery of the birth of Jesus Christ. You think of all the world religions that we have. Of course, the major ones are Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism. But you, you look at Muhammad, the founder of Islam. He is not the savior. He never claimed to be. Buddha is not the savior. He never claimed to be. And you can go on and on. You can talk about Joseph Smith. He's not the savior. Jesus 
is the way, the truth, and the life. That means without him, we don't have the way, we don't have the truth, and we don't have life. It will be sad for us to think that we are following him, and then one day we get surprised just realizing that we were following the wrong person. It will be sad for us to realize that uh, we believed a lie. And I'm talking about someone who is believing in something or someone else apart from Jesus Christ. He's the great creator. He's the, the great redeemer. And here is number three that John is telling us. He's telling us that this Jesus is the revelation of the Father. He is the exegesis of the Father. He is the interpretation, explanation, and exposition of the Father. He says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. But this, the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. You and I know God through Jesus Christ. In fact, he told his disciples in John 14 that if you have seen me, you've seen the father. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, we are told the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. So, he is the creator, he is the redeemer, and he is the revelation of the Father. And when he comes down and takes on a form of a human being, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. That's why I say we, we don't celebrate Christmas because Jesus was born on December 25th. We don't. In fact, December 25th used to be a pagan celebration. They were celebrating the God of lights. And then Christians decided to use that to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ because he is the light of the world. So we don't celebrate it because he was born on December 25th. We celebrate because he was born. That's why we celebrate. So we are not stupid as we, we celebrate Christmas. We are not fools. We know what we are celebrating. 
we are not just doing things because sometimes people look at us Christians and they think they think we don't think. Right? We just follow stuff and believe things that don't even make sense. We know what we are doing. <laughs> we, we know that Jesus was born. And because he was born, he is the light of the world that shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. This creator and redeemer is our living hope. There is nothing... There is nothing that can give us hope apart from Jesus Christ. There is nothing. I don't know if you have I don't know if you have experienced him in your life in such a way that you feel convicted that you are ready to die for this Jesus Christ. I don't know that, but I have My, my, my wife and I have seen the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. We have experienced him in ways that sometimes surprise us even today. My standing here today to share with you is a testimony. Is a testimony that Jesus has power. He has power to forgive, he has power to save, and he has power to transform a life. Most of you see me today, and uh, you think I have been this way all my life. You look at me and you're like, probably his mother gave birth at church. That's why he became a pastor. As if, if your mother gave birth at a, a garage, you'll become a mechanic. I was a very rebellious young man. And in fact, for me, I knew the truth. And I rejected it. Because my mother was a Christian, she raised us up as, a, as Christians, knowing almost everything. There is a time uh, in 1996, I was sick, and I was admitted with malaria, and my mother brought an evangelist. She came to visit, and she came with an evangelist. And this evangelist prayed for me, and then he began to preach. And he preached about hell. And I was there lying on this hospital bed, listening to every word that he was saying. And then he asked me, do you want to receive Jesus now? And I said, no. And he looked at me and he said, do you know where you will go when you die? And I said, yes. Where? 
to hell. You know you will go to hell when you die. So yeah, I thought that's where people go if they don't believe in Jesus. And you're not afraid of that? I was like, why should I be afraid? That's where I'm supposed to go. <laughs> you know, I know I don't believe in Jesus. And he, he was, like I could see, he almost slapped me. I, I think just the presence of my mom stopped him. But he was so mad, like... And, and I was, that, that I know that. So I rebelled against God knowing, knowingly. I knew when I was smoking marijuana, I knew the kind of life I was living wasn't pleasing to God. But I still lived it. And then one day, one day I was with my friends, in, that was 1990, uh, no, 1999, I was with my friends, it was on a Friday, and we were smoking, and uh, I was just thinking, and suddenly I began to realize that God still loved me. I, I had known that, but it became so real that day that God still loves me. And I began to think about it, and I told my friends, this is the last time I'm smoking marijuana. And they laughed. They said, you're getting high. On Saturday, I did not smoke. On Sunday afternoon, Alone, I knelt down on my knees, tears from my eyes, and I called on Jesus. I said, please forgive me and save me. That was my prayer. Please forgive me and save me. And I knew that something happened that time. The next thing that I did was I visited my mom and told her, Mom, I am born again. And my mom looked at me and she said, you are telling me that because you know that's what I want to hear. And I said, no, mom, I am. And she said, if you are serious, come with me to our fellowship on Wednesday. I joined her. And at the fellowship, she said, uh, my son Valerian has something to say. And I, I never expected that. And everyone was looking at me. And I just, I said, yeah, on Sunday I gave my life to Christ. And everyone was looking at me. And after the fellowship, almost everyone was asking me the same thing. And uh, have you stopped smoking marijuana? I said, yeah, I could tell they didn't believe me. But I knew that God had done something in me. And as I continued to grow, and I, I started going to church then, I saw the transformation that he was making in my life. To this very day, I'm still growing. 
So this Jesus is real. He is real and he transforms lives. This God, the creator and redeemer, the radiance of God, the explanation of the Father is real. And when you allow him in your life, he makes a difference. And the sooner you do that, if you don't know him, the better. The sooner you do it, the better. Let me tell you, you can look at yourself and despise yourself. Look down upon yourself because of the kind of lifestyle that you live or have lived. But he loves you. He loves you. And when he comes into your life, he deals with your past. You become a new baby. You become a new baby when you are born into his family. The old is gone and you begin a new life. You will still remember where you are coming from. You will still remember some of the things that you did, but every time you remember, you will also remember that Jesus has forgiven you. And even though you will remember and you will feel sad, you would wish that you had not done what you did. When you remember that he has forgiven you, you, have, you will have that hope and that peace to look forward and to move forward. I say that because I know Christians. I know Christians that are still suffering from their past. I know Christians that have been delivered, they have been saved, they have been forgiven, but they are still caught up in the things that they did in the past. Every time you allow that to happen, you are saying that you don't really believe what God has done in your life. And if you are a believer, my friend, God has forgiven you. He's, in fact, the Bible says that the only thing that God forgets is your sins. He chooses to forget them. He says, your sins I will remember no more. So why are you remembering them? I said here that some of us will go and pay counselors to tell us what we want to hear so that we can feel good while God has said everything that he wants us to hear and we don't want to believe it. I'm not saying that some of us may not need counselors. I am not against going to counselors. But I'm saying if we really believed what God has said about us, we won't need counselors. We won't. Do you want someone to tell you how beautiful you are? How handsome you are? Well, God has said it. And do you know how he said it? He said that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. That means 
You're not just beautiful or handsome. You are more than that. He's not just focusing on your outward appearance. He's focusing on your whole being. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. He said that. And yet, if someone else told you the same thing, if someone else told you you are beautiful, you'll take it very nicely. And yet God has looked unto you and he says, you are my special possession. He loves you more than anyone else will ever love you. And when you realize that, my friend, you just look at life differently. You will still face challenges. You will face challenges in relationships, relationships with our siblings, our children, our spouses. We will face those challenges. But even with those challenges, we will remember that God is in control. He was in control when Mary and Joseph were expecting this child. May Christmas remind you that the greatest gift you will ever receive is Jesus Christ. He is the gift of Christmas. The creator, the redeemer, the explanation of the father is our Christmas gift. And may this truth May this truth give you the courage, the hope, and the peace that you need to live this life. God loves you. He loves you regardless of where you're coming from. You know, God is not in interested with where you are coming from. He's interested with where he's taking you. That's where his interest is. So, my brothers and sisters, yeah, we, I, I have done things that I cannot say before you because some of you will be, I don't think you're old enough to take it. <laughs> Seriously. Some of you will be shocked. Some of you may start avoiding me. So, maybe one day I will share, but I have done things that when I look back, I'm like, wow, this, this, this love is amazing. This God is amazing. Someone sang and said that his love is so wide that you cannot go around it. It's so deep, you can't go under it. And it's so high, you can't go over it. We have every reason to rejoice. We do. Because of this God that has given us Jesus Christ to die for us. And if you are here and Jesus is not your Savior, summer has come and gone 
the fall is gone, the winter is here. What are you waiting for? If Jesus is not your savior, he is willing to receive you today. You just need to turn to him and, and ask him to, to save you. He's willing to do that. He is our Christmas gift. Thank you, Lord, again for this moment. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Father, for every family that is represented here. And I thank you for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness in saving us, in receiving us the way we are and beginning to transform our lives. I want to thank you for that one person, Lord, that you have spoken to this morning and just reminded her or him where you have taken them and where you are taking them right now. Reminding them where you have saved them from and what you are doing in their lives. I pray that you may enable us, Father, to trust you, to rely on you, and to allow you to transform our lives the way you want. On behalf of your people, Lord, I, I say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your good plans for us. May you continue to accomplish through us and around us what you intend to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.